0: Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, will start verse 12, and we'll read to the end of the chapter to start, and then we'll, we'll go a little bit further as the message proceeds. So he says, I the preacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This is sword travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Well, the preacher was king in Jerusalem. He's got power. He's got resources. He's got ways and means to get things done and ways and means you and I can't even imagine. Here's a man that has it all And he's going to examine if having it all can bring him happiness and joy. Is there something out there in the world that can satisfy the soul? And here's a man that can find out. You and I can imagine, we can say, boy, if I had this, I'd really be happy. Or if I won the lottery, then I could get this and I'd really be happy. Well, Solomon could get anything he wanted to. So there was nothing restricting him from the investigation of is there something in this world that can satisfy the soul and, and make a man happy? He's got the resources to try it and investigate it. He was the wisest man that ever was and we can take our his word, we can take him at his word. He can explore and pursue avenues that we just don't have access to. And so this wise man sets his heart to, by wisdom, investigate all the works that are done under the sun, done under heaven. All the different options to find fulfillment and happiness. But in reality, he says, it's just an unhappy business God has given to the sons of man. Looking at all the ways that we work and we labor, all the ways which we try to find meaning in our lives, it all boils down to Vanity and vexation of spirit. It's like eating the wind. Empty, unsatisfying, frustrating. Beric said, the proverb in verse 14 drives home the conclusion that labor of mankind living under the sun ultimately proves itself unprofitable. It's unsatisfying, it's unremarkable, unremembered. That's the way life is and we can't change it. Verse 15 is a key verse, I think. He said, That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. This world is crooked, and we can't fix it. We can't even number all the things that are wrong, let alone fix it. And that's not being pessimistic. That's just the way that it is. This world is bent out of shape, and we can't straighten it out. God created the world good, and when Adam sinned, he was cursed, we are cursed, this world is cursed, And we can't by any means straighten it back out. As much as we want to, as much as we desire for this world to be the Garden of Eden or the new heavens and the new earth, it's not. And that which is crooked can't be made straight. We can sit here and think and talk about how we could put an end to all the shootings that that go on. But passing more laws isn't going to stop people from shooting each other. There's already illegal, It's already illegal to murder people, and it's already illegal to have a gun in the bank. I mean, I don't know how many laws you can add on top of it, but a, a sinful, wicked person is going to do sinful, wicked things. The, that's the problem. This world is broken, and that which is crooked can't be straightened. And there's nothing that we can do to straight, straighten a crooked stick. That's the world that we live in. And it's not just with crime and things such as that, but it's everything. Even the good things that we have just often just don't work out the way that we want them to. So Solomon thought to himself, well, I'm wiser than anybody that's ever come before me. And he's not being proud. It's just the facts. And he said, I've experienced much. I've acquired more wisdom and knowledge than any other of my peers. And he wasn't wrong. The scripture tells us he was the wisest man on earth. He wrote 3,000 proverbs, 1,005 songs. He was an expert on botany, every kind of plant, trees. He spoke about biology, animals, birds, insects, fish. People from all nations came to hear Solomon talk of his wisdom. And they came from all the kingdoms on the earth to listen to Solomon speak. That's 1 Kings 4, 32 through 34. So the scripture tells us what a wise man he was. So he took all this wisdom and he gave his heart over to know wisdom, madness, and folly. He was going to learn. He was going to, under, he was going to explore philosophy. He was going to search out the hidden things the earth had to offer and, under, and uncover the mysteries of the earth. He was going to figure this thing out. And what he found was everything was vanity and vexation. Because he found out that much wisdom is much grief. Increasing your knowledge increases sorrow. Why? Because life is crooked. And learning how crooked the world is and still not being able to straighten out is frustrating and vexing. In 2019, the United States spent $752 $752 billion in education in 2019. And then look what happened in 2020. All the crime, the, the, the summer of protest. And say, well, there's a lot of racism. Well, I thought education was supposed to fix all that. We spent $752 billion in education and things are worse than they were. People aren't any better, people are worse. Schools are, like Lenny Bruce said, I won't say my school was a tough school, he said, but we had our own coroner. He said, we used to write essays like, what I'm going to be if I grow up at my school. And, and that's the way it is at schools, that it's, it's dangerous in some places. You don't go to get an education, you go to learn how to survive. Learning doesn't fix the world. It doesn't even fix us. It brings more frustration. A learned man might see the problem. He might know why the problem exists, but still powerless to solve it. When uh, Jacob was having seizures, we went to um, the hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, and the neurologist there was a very brilliant man. And he said, I can show you a picture of Jacob having a seizure on this imaging machine. He said, I can explain what is happening while he's having a seizure. He said, but I can't tell you why he has it. And he said, and I can't tell you how to stop it. He said, we can try things, and there's things that we know that work. He said, but we don't know why they work. They just do. He said, the brain is a mystery. And he said, we haven't even scratched the surface of the knowledge of the human brain. Here's a man who spent his life, his adult life, studying the human brain, he sees a problem, he knows a problem exists, his whole life is dedicated to helping children with this problem, but he 's powerless to solve the the riddle the The knowledge didn't bring it brought grief in some sense. Watching the news of the crazy politicians in Washington, it might inform you you might get more knowledge, but what do you do? What can you do with it? if I know If I know somebody's doing a crazy thing, there's nothing I can do to stop it. I can just know about it. And that knowledge, uh, that knowledge of folly and madness doesn't do anything, there's nothing I can do to fix it. There's nothing I can do to stop it. All I can do is know it and say it's vanity and vexation of spirit. One man said, fools have this happiness to be easy with themselves and let other people blush for them. Ignorance is bliss in some regards. And that's what Psalm was saying. The more I learned, the more I learned it. Things are bad and they can't be fixed. In chapter 2, verse number 1, he said, I said in my heart, so now he's going to go to another, another way of um, looking at the world. And so he's going to start going to different venues. We might imagine he's going to a diff- down a different alley to a, or a different street down t- to a different um, venue to to try out some things in the world to see if that will bring him happiness. So we have laughs and and luxury will be the title of the the first sermon he preaches here. Laughs and luxury. He said, "I, I said in my heart, I go now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said, of laughter it is mad, and of mirth what doeth it? I sought my heart to give myself to wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Since it's vexing to learn about philosophy and, and to learn about madness and folly and, and and grow in education? Well, maybe the answer is just to laugh it up. Everyone loves to laugh. The same man said, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. Let's try laughter. Surely laughter will be the the key to everything. That'll be the key to lasting joy. Because if we want joy, what better way to get it than always be laughing? Robin Williams Spend spent his lifetime making people laugh, from TV shows and movies or just going on stage doing stand-up comedy. He said when he started his career, he was so filled with anxiety that the only thing that he knew to do was to start taking drugs. And so for a long time he was addicted to drugs because making people laugh was a a great anxiety for him. Everyone else was laughing, but he wasn't laughing. Ultimately, in 2014, he hung himself, committed suicide. The man that made everybody laugh on the inside, he he was distraught. Laughter is no cure for the vexation in this world. Sometimes it just masks the problem. Even the funniest people are frustrated by the laughter and just use that as a mask and turn to drugs and alcohol. All temporary means to dull their frustration, but it only lasts for a short while. They're back to a clear head, back to seeing the, the way the world really is, a crooked world that can't be straightened, straightened. And so you notice a lot of comedians, that's where all their jokes come from. It was, they laugh at what? How crooked the world is. How, how messed up the world is. And they can say something about some injustice in a funny way, and we all laugh, but, but it's all from them perceiving that the world is crooked and it can't be straightened. Some people, someone said this section describes maybe college life, laughter, parties, drinking. Solomon said it's all vanity and vexation. So down one road, you have the school, go to school, get an education. That's the key to happiness. You get down there, that's a dead end because that's not the key to happiness. That's not the key to success or the key to um, fulfillment and satisfaction. You go down another street. So I'm going to go down to the comedy club. There, surely I can find lasting joy. No. Solomon says, it's not down there either. And then you go over to the bar. No. Nobody's nobody's ultimately happy there either. And we come back and we find every road that we've traveled thus far is a crooked, frustrating world. Well, you say, well, the key is then just go get you a good job, work hard, get you a nice house. There's where life will be fulfilling. Work hard, be successful you'll have a, a satisfying life. In verse number four, he said, I made me great works. I built me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water, to water wherewith the wood that bringeth forth the trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also, I also had great possessions, great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasures of kings and of providences. Um, I got me men singers and women singers, the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from all any joy for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. So he works hard and he plays hard. He's got houses and gardens and vineyards and orchards and pools and mansions. And um, I remember reading this when I was a kid and he said he had orchards. And I thought, oh, he's, he's talking about the vanity of life again. <laughs> Come back to uh, apple orchards. But no, he was saying that Look what all the orchards are like. Look at all the good things I have. Got a, fountain, got a farm, uh, servants, cattle, money, wealth, gold. The world's richest man. I said, man, if I had that, I'd be happy. I'd settle for a mansion and a pool, or orchards and vineyards. I'd settle for a garden and somebody to work it for me. Gold, boy, if I had that, I'd be happy. He had singers and bands come play for him. This was before Spotify and uh, YouTube music and that kind of thing. So he just had people come and play for him. He gave his life to music. Everybody likes music, so he did a deep vi- dive into music and musical instruments. I'll dedicate myself to that. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be full of joy. Anything he wanted. He went after. He didn't hold back on anything. If I won the lottery, if I won the Powerball, people say, what would I do? What would you do? Pay off your bills and all that kind of stuff. Well, then I'd get me a nice truck, and then I'd get me a boat. Then I'd retire. Then I'd do this. Then I'd do that. Then I'd be happy. Boy, if I had that, then I'd be happy. Solomon did all that. There was nothing that his heart desired that he didn't go and get. In verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of Spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He tried it. He tried it, and it was just like everything else that he had tried. It was fine for a while, but it just didn't bring any lasting joy. It wasn't satisfying. It becomes frustrating. To have your orchard and a frost come and it kills all your fruit. To have cattle and then have a disease come through in your cattle. Um, to have musicians and the musicians start arguing amongst themselves and not playing what you wanted them to play. And, and on and on and on. Everything that he had, eventually, is sort of is a dead-end street. So here we are standing at an intersection... And with all these things in the city, anything that you want. Music. Solomon said, says, I've been down there, it's a dead end. A nice house. Nope. Dead end. Wealth? Nope. Laughter? No. Drugs? Alcohol? Nope. Vanity. You get to the end of that road, it's vanity and vexation of spirit. Well, the next sermon he preaches here is the graveyards full of all sorts of people. Verse 12. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can a man do that cometh after the king, that which has been done already? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness, and myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then I said in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, This is also vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever, seeing that which is now is in the days to come shall be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? So we come back to wisdom. Surely wisdom is good. Wisdom tells us how to navigate this world. Frowardness is in his heart of the fool. He devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Proverbs six fourteen, Proverbs twenty three twenty one. The drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Proverbs twenty thirteen. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thy eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. So, all things being equal, wisdom will make for a life that's a lot easier for you. If you're wise, you're not going to sleep all day, because if you sleep all day, that doesn't pay very good. and Then you'll be poor, and then you're going to have to live with all the problems that come with poverty. So, Solomon says... Wake up even when you don't want to and go to work and work your job and then you'll get money. Wisdom make, will make your life a whole lot easier for you. Solomon says, if you're a drunkard and a glutton, where's all your money going to go? It's going to go to food and drink. He said, so the drunkard and the glutton, the person that lives for those things, will come to poverty. It's a it's a, a way to poverty. Does that mean everybody that wakes up early and goes to work is going to be rich? No. Does that mean that everybody that drinks is going to be poor? No. All things being equal, wisdom just makes life a whole lot easier for you. And so Solomon said, it's better to be wise than to be a fool. Because if you're going to, if you're going to play, what would be the odds that you could sleep all day and not work and then end up becoming rich, well, the odds wouldn't be very good. And so, wisdom says, odds are, walking this way, your life is going to be a whole lot easier. Because Solomon examined folly. So just like those Proverbs that I read, he said, this is what will happen if you act a fool. And this is what will happen if you act wise. So he studied folly. He studied the end of folly. That doesn't mean he went and lived a life of folly. He studied it out. He looked at it. So what, what is the logical consequence of this madness? So we might look at things that go on in our country and we say, what's the outcome? What's the logical conclusion of all this madness that's going on in the world? Where are we going to end up? And so it'd be a lot better to be wise and go this direction and to be a fool and go that direction. Wisdom is far superior. Wisdom is light. Foolishness is like walking through the dark, walking through the world in the dark. Well then, Solomon thought about it for a minute, though. And he said, the graveyard is full of all sorts of people, though. The fool and the wise man end up in the same destination the graveyard the fool might get there a little bit quicker the wise man might have an easier path until he gets there but the fact is that's where everybody ends up every graveyard you'll see is filled with former wise men and former fools my grandpa is buried in Kentucky and there's a plot where uh, he's buried and mom's buried and dad's got a plot there It's where he will, my grandma and and all that. Last time I was there I was walking past and I looked and I saw um, a guy I went to high school with. I saw his tombstone and um, I didn't know he had passed away and and, uh, there he was just 50 feet away from my grandpa, well, this guy's a fool. He lived a hard life because of foolish decisions, and he died early because he acted a fool, or died young, I guess, but th- but there he was, not too far away from my grandpa, who was a World War II veteran, medal winner, hard-working man, a wise businessman. Dedicated his life to his family, to his farm. He died a wealthy man, left his children an inheritance. But he died just the same. And there was this wise man who had lived under the sun, lived a good life, and had what most people would want out of a life. And just 50 feet away, he's right there next to a fool. Solomon thought about that and just got depressed. Verse 17, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Even if we do everything right, and get all the stuff that we wanted to get, and live life to the fullest, don't have any problems at all, Solomon says, we're still going to die. And we're going to die just like the people who did all the wrong things. Life under the sun. if That's all that there is. is—is is vexing. That's why I said I just hate it. I hate to think about it. Verse 18, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun because I should leave it to the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet he shall have rule over all my labor, wherein have I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun, for there is a man whose labor is in wisdom, and his knowledge, and equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored, therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil what hath man of all his labor and vexation of his heart wherein he labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrow and his travail grief. That his heart is taken, taketh not rest into the night. This is also vanity. He says, everything we do is grievous. And he started thinking about it and he said, what's everything I'm doing? All the wealth I'm building and the kingdom that I've got I'm gonna die, and somebody else is gonna take it all. I don't know if you guys saw um, Donald Trump talking about the farmers. He's saying all the things he did for the farmers, and one thing he did for the farmers he got rid of the death tax. He said, and he said you could, uh, he said you could leave it your farm to your children without paying taxes. And he said, <laughs> he said something like. Um, you don't have to leave it to your children if you don't want to. Some people don't love their children and probably deservedly so. <laughs> and, and just went on a, a tangent about uh, bad kids and you don't have to leave an inheritance to bad kids if you don't want to. <laughs> but, but that's kind of what Solomon was thinking about. I got all this money, all this wealth, and I'm going to give it to somebody who didn't work for it. And who knows who's going to end up getting it. You know, he had all his wives and the concubines. He's thinking my wealth might go back to Egypt. My wealth might go all over the world. Who knows who's going to get it and what they're going to do with it. And here I was wise and worked hard for it. And then it's just going to dissipate all over the earth. Who knows where, who's going to end up with all of our stuff. You might work hard and save and keep and take care of stuff and you die and it might be gone in no time. Winston Churchill said, Saving is a very fine thing, especially when your parents have done it for you. That's what Solomon said. Man, I've saved and I've worked and I've kept. And this boy of mine hadn't done anything. And he was, he was right, too, because what happened to Rehoboam? Solomon dies, Rehoboam becomes king, and then just not too long, he says, I, They said, you know, Solomon taxed us. It'd be wise if you didn't tax us so hard, you being a young king and everything, so I'm going to tax you more than Solomon ever did. And what happens with the kingdom? Everything he saw was right. Everything that he had worked for and that God had given him was torn asunder. If your house was on fire and you could only go back inside for one thing, what would it be? Well, Whatever it is that you thought of, somebody's going to get that someday. When you die, somebody's going to have that. It's gonna, we can't take these things with us. So Solomon started to despair. Not only is that vexation, but it's a great evil. A man who doesn't work gets the fruit of the labor of another person. He said, I work and I fret all night thinking about my business and thinking about this and that, and I'm frustrated, and then then it's just going to go to somebody else who doesn't even appreciate it. Pour your life into that, and that's what you live for, and that's what it ends up being. What do we make all of this? It's frustrating, right? If we forget that this world is crooked and can't be straightened. Verse 24, he says, There is nothing better for man than that he should eat and drink, that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who else can hasten thereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This is vanity and vexation of spirit. I used to think that Solomon was saying like uh, Jesus said not to, eat, drink, and be merry. But I don't believe that's what he's saying. Because here now, You notice what Solomon hadn't been talking about in the first two chapters? God. Everything was about what is under the earth or under the sun, under heaven. Everything was about work. It was about, I think he mentioned God once, but everything was about pleasure and work and laughter and trying to find joy, trying to find satisfaction. Every road he went down was a dead end. Now we're at rock bottom. There's nowhere else to go. He's gone down every road. The world is crooked. It's broken. It's frustrating. It's cursed. It's vexing. And the good things we have don't satisfy us if we're living for those good things. The good things end up being a curse because it's always the next thing. When I was in elementary school, I was... Once I get to high school. Got to high school. Once I get my driver's license. Once I graduate high school. Once I get a real job. Once I get a better job. Once I get a raise. Once I get a house. On and on and on. It was always the next best. The next thing. That'll be the thing. That'll be the thing that that seals the deal. That'll be the thing that brings lasting joy. Or it could be. Once I get married, then I'll be happy. Once I have kids, or once I have more kids, once I get this or that, if I could read this book, if I could figure out this theory, if I could get this education, if I could travel the world, if I could do this and that, then I'll be happy. If I could just sit down one Saturday and binge watch my favorite comedy on TV, that would make my day. Then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be full of joy. Well, all these things are roads, no matter which one you go down. If that's where you're looking for your ultimate joy and satisfaction, you're going to end up being disappointed, frustrated, and eventually dissatisfied with it. Because once you get to high school, then you got a lot more work to do. And once you get your driver's license, then you're working to, to pay for things. And then once you get that job, you realize... Well, it's not fun working so hard for not very much money. You you need a better job and and on and on and on. If if you're looking for that next thing, there's always going to be something else. But that's the key to all this. That's why I said that that which is crooked cannot be made straight. is very important here because if you're trying to find your happiness by straightening a crooked stick, it's going to be frustrating. If you had a crooked stick back there, and you're trying to straighten it. And you say, I'm not going to have joy and happiness until I get this stick straightened. Well, you'll be back there for forever trying to straighten it. And you get frustrated and quit or break the thing or something's going to happen, but that stick is fashioned; and you're just not going to be able to straighten it out anymore. So Solomon... It's telling us here, there's nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink, that which he should make, that should his soul enjoy, good in his labor, that it was from the hand of God. Don't find your satisfaction in what God gives you, but thank God for what God has given you and enjoy what he has provided you. Enjoy what you have while you have it because it's from the hand of God. So the pleasures of laughter and food and drink, a hard day's work completed is a gift from God. So enjoy it while you have it. Because God gives the men what is good in his sight. God gives to us what we have when we have it, and it's good in God's sight that we do have it. God gives us wisdom, He gives us knowledge, He gives us joy. But to the sinner, one without Christ, without God in this world, he gives travail to gather the stores of the benefit of God's people. Without Christ, it's just a vicious, vain, empty, unsatisfying circle. Like I said last week, I go to work to dig the ditch, to make the money, to buy the food, to gain the strength, to go back to work and dig the ditch. And that's what life is without God. Hard, confusing, frustrating, vexing. And then you die and everything you work for is given to someone else who probably won't appreciate it. But what Solomon is doing is not making us depressed and cynical, but he's it's like splashing cold water on your face. To step back and take a deep breath, to look around, to remember who you are and where you are and what you have and what you're doing and say, this world is crooked and it can't be straightened but this world is not my home. Solomon tried to recreate the Garden of Eden back there with his pools and his vineyards and his orchards and all that kind of stuff. But you can't create the Garden of Eden in a cursed world. Instead of enjoying the vineyards, taking pleasure in what God has given them as a gift from the hand of God, he tried to find his joy in the gift and it was vexing to him. David, or Gibson said, when we accept in a deep way that we are going to die, that reality can stop us expecting too much from the good things that we have. We can learn to pursue them for what they are rather than what we want them to be to make us happy. Instead of using gifts as a means to a greater end, we can take the time to live with the gifts, and seeing them from God's hand? What if the pleasure of food is just a daily joy that we ungratefully overlook? What if work was never intended to make us successful, but simply to make us faithful and generous? So I don't go to work to dig the ditch. I go to work to provide for my family. I go to work to help my neighbor. I go to work to be sanctified and learn patience. I go to work so I can be thankful and recognize it's a gift from the hand of God. Rather than my job, laughter, entertainment being the source of my joy, my happiness, my fulfillment, I can see that I don't deserve it and that God has blessed me and I can be thankful for it because it definitely could be worse. I don't eat the food to gain the strength to go back to work. I eat the food and drink the drink as a gift from God. I can take a bite of something and I can smell, you eat a hamburger, you smell the the meat and the texture in your mouth, the taste, just everything about it. And just stop and enjoy it. Just be happy that you have this delicious meal. That's a gift from God that we can enjoy. Not grumble because we don't have this, and boy, if I had a steak, then I'd be happy. My great-grandpa used to say that he'd be eating supper, and he'd say, I wonder what the poor people were eating tonight. <laughs> but he loved to, to eat and, and enjoy his, his supper. That's the way that we ought to, to do. See it as a gift from God, not vexation. Not, well, now i got to go do the dishes. But I'm going to eat my meal, and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy the taste. I'm going to enjoy the smell. I'm going to enjoy eating with my, uh, my loved ones. It's a gift from the hand of God. Jesus lived in this crooked world. He preached messages that people got mad at him about. He healed people, and they called him names. He taught people, and it went in one ear and out the other. But how did he look at it? He came to do the will of the Father. He had everything in the right perspective. This world is a crooked world, and he came to save sinners. He didn't come at this time. He will eventually make the crooked straight. He came that time to save sinners and live in this crooked world for our sake. The Lord Jesus would have us to put things in the right perspective. Eat your supper and enjoy it because it's a gift from God. Laugh at something silly and enjoy it because it's a gift from God. Go go do your hobby and enjoy it because it's a gift from God. And whenever life gets frustrating and hard, you say, well, this is the way the world is, and I can't change it. I wish it wasn't like this, but it is. And so I'm going to take what God gives me, and I'm just going to enjoy it. While I was studying this, I was drinking a cup of coffee. I wasn't even paying attention as I was drinking it. But you know, I was thinking, this is a bean that originally only grew in Ethiopia. And it kind of got spread around, word got around, and then spread all over the country. And now here I am in West Virginia, drinking a cup of coffee with a bean that originally only grew in Africa. And I was thankful for that. Then I noticed the flavor and how much I enjoyed sipping the hot coffee. And I thought, this is a gift from God. Instead of being frustrated, instead of being aggravated about stuff, lots of stuff to be aggravated about. But right there at that moment, at my, sitting there at the house, I had that cup of coffee, and I was just enjoying it as a gift from God. God gave me that gift to enjoy. And that's what Solomon is saying. Don't try to get more out of this world than it has to give you. Sitting on the porch after a long day and just taking a deep breath, knowing that you've done all that you can do for the day, there's nothing more the day can get out of you, and you're going to wind down and go in and go to sleep in just a minute? That's a gift. The frustrating day is over, and now you're going to go rest. That's a gift. Think about how Paul uses this principle as we wind this down. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, he tells Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high minded, nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up and store themselves a good foundation against the times to come that we may hay- lay hold on eternal life. He said, if you have riches, don't trust in them. Don't hope in them. Don't look for satisfaction in them. But understand what you have is given to you by God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Your Father in heaven has given us things to enjoy. Yeah, but this world is crooked. Yes, it is. And God still gives us things to enjoy. Little moments, little times during the day where you can laugh, you can just enjoy... A little peace and quiet. Eat a eat a cookie. And, and Enjoy it. That's a gift from God. Even when things are going crazy. I'll have a hard day at work and I'll walk outside and just walk around the parking lot sometimes and the sun hits my face and, and uh, just look up at the blue sky and just a few minutes just thinking about what I have there and I can go back in and and finish the day out, but, but that's a gift from God. Yeah, it's crooked. The world's crooked, but I can't straighten it. I just got to live in it. We can't expect the world to give us more than what it's going to give it. We just got to accept it for what it is. And then that way, we can enjoy. So you got a little garden? Don't fret because it's little. Enjoy it. If you got a little bike, enjoy it. If you got a little dog, enjoy it. Right? You know, whatever God has given you, enjoy it. Because it's going to be frustrating sometimes. It's going to be hard sometimes. But sometimes it's not. And then that's what Solomon was saying. There's nothing better for a man than he should eat and drink. That he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Remember that it, the pleasures in this life. Or a gift from God as we await what Christ has given us eternally. Lay hold on eternal life, as Paul said. Hold on to that truth, because it is Christ that satisfies. It is Christ that gives peace. He gives assurance. He gives comfort. He gives contentment. So we can travel all down those roads that are dead, dead ends, and we can get what we need down there and come back and still be satisfied and full of peace and assurance, we can go and we can laugh and come back because we're not going down there to live. Jesus is with us. He gives us what we're satisfied. We're not satisfied vertically along these paths, but horizontally, or I got that backwards, uh, vertically we're satisfied. Horizontally we go this way and that way. There's no satisfaction there. But if we remember our satisfaction comes from above, then we can enjoy these little things in our life and praise Jesus for giving them to us because he is our peace He is our comfort. He is our contentment. If we're looking for this world to do those things for us, you'll end up like Solomon, depressed. But If you look to Christ and be thankful for what he has given you, knowing that one of these days you'll live in a new heaven, and a new earth, where the crooked things will be made straight, where there'll be no more vanity and vexation, that'll all be a thing in the past. And we just have to live in this crooked world for just a little while longer. And then we'll have an eternity of blessing and peace. Remember, this just puts us in perspective. It's cold water to the face early in the morning. Wake up. Don't try to get more, don't try to get from the world what the world can't give you. Enjoy the things God has given you as it was from the hand of God.